Welcome to episode 98 of Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End Chat. Today, Pat will be chatting to writer and former creative writing tutor Dave Manderson. Dave works with literary organisations such as Scotty's Pen. He organises and runs literary events and has presented illustrated talks on a range of different topics, including topics as diverse as serial killers and Scottish identity. He writes both fiction and non-fiction, fiction and non-fiction. Uh, recently curated a series of films written by Alan Sharp called From Greenock to Hollywood. And he has written a book about the same Scottish filmmaker called The Anti-Hero's Journey. At the moment, Dave is working on a book of short stories and a new novel. Now, looking at his biography, I can tell you he's doing a lot more than that. Nonetheless, we'll leave it there and let's have a wee listen to Pat chatting to Dave Manderson. Today, Dave Manderson has come up to talk to me on the podcast. Um, Dave's a number of strings to his bow. He's a former academic, but mainly a writer and... um, also support a lot of other um, people and teach creative writing and most recently when um, I, I was sort of quite involved with some of the work um, that Dave was doing was very interesting was curating a series of films at Glasgow um, Film Theatre about Alan Sharp so very nice to see you, Dave. Thanks, Pat. Thank you for inviting me. No, that was great. Um, I, I, I couldn't believe the, the Alan Sharp the, from Greenock to Hollywood because I had never heard of him. Yeah. And you've written a book about, about him as well? I have, uh, Pat. Yes, I have. And uh, that was the reason I wrote it, because uh, I heard about him years ago and uh, people were asking me what kind of writer would you like to be yourself one day and I said oh I'd love to be uh, somebody who goes abroad and has adventures but comes back and has it, stays Scottish but writes about overseas and stuff like that and they said oh well that's Alan Sharp um, and I said who's Alan Sharp because I'd never heard of him either mm-hmm. and uh, so they um, told me about a novel called A Green Tree in Getty which I had trouble finding actually, this was the late 70s and I finally found a copy in London Uh, I was down visiting people and went to second-hand bookshops there read it, thought it was amazing and then just began to really be interested in him Um, and the the strange thing about him was that uh, he had a very successful career but then completely dropped out of sight in about 1975 and he wasn't really spotted again uh, until about the 1990s and never really was remembered by many people anyway. So he just intrigued me as a character. Mm-hmm. What happened to him? Why did he drop out of view? Why does nobody remember him really? So I just got really fascinated by that story and I started to, to investigate it. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that was fantastic. And then did you um, approach the Glasgow Film Theatre to talk to him about him? about him and about the films. Yes, I did, yes. Um, I was thinking about how to promote the book and I'd done lots of things like readings and launches and things like that. 
But I began to think, well, the real place to talk about Alan Sharp is in a cinema, because that was by far the most successful part of his career. In the mid-70s, from 71 to 75, he had five films made of on-spec scripts in five years. So the on-spec script is the one that hasn't been commissioned. You just send it around producers and agents and things. They're almost never made, but he had five made in five years. And that's a Hollywood record that still stands. Absolutely. There was one week in the early 70s when all four cinemas in Leicester Square were showing uh, films by the same guy. And that was, he was the son of a shipyard worker Mm -hmm. and he went all the way to the top. Mm -hmm. So I found that a fascinating story, you know. I mean, he worked with people like uh, Arthur Penn, who was one of the leading directors, Robert Aldrich, Peter Fonda, and and loads and loads of actors, Gene Hackman, um, uh, George C. Scott, uh, Burt Lancaster. And he, he was right at the heights, and yet here we just don't remember him. And I found that really incredible. So we are better to try and get people involved again than in the cinema. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I phoned up the cinema and said, would you, uh, would you like to do this? And the guy said, who is Alan Shaw? <laughs> so I told him and he said, oh yeah, that's it. the sort of thing we should get interested absolutely. in. Absolutely, yeah. So Maybe they'll do something again as part of the film festival. I hope so. I'm very hopeful because I've now been approached by Inverclyde um, Film Festival and they want to put on something next April. So that's in the Waterford Cinema down in Greenock, which is a new mm-hmm. cinema. And yeah, I mean, well, uh, if they remember him anywhere, <laughs> it will be in Greenock where he was raised. Yeah. You actually sent me a, um, a photograph, which I, I don't know why. I, it must have been an email amongst other emails when I was trying to put stuff together. And I just really noticed it afterwards. And it was with him and... Peter McDougall. That's right. That's a gorgeous photograph. It's a nice um, photo, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was taken in the ubiquitous chip, I think, in the 1990s. It's a great photo. It's the two of them photo. look as if they're having a rare tear. <laughs> they were having a rare tear and mm. they knew each other very well because mm. they were not quite brothers-in-law, but they were very close to it. They're what, what Peter McDougall told me is called good brothers, right. uh, meaning that they married sisters. Mm-hmm. And they lived in the same house in London with these sisters and their families for some years down in London in the 1960s, in Primrose Hill, uh, in fact. Um, and they played in the same football team on Sundays, which they called Rothwell Morton, because they lived in Rothwell Street in Primrose Hill. And Morton, of course, mm-hmm. has to do with Greenock. Mm-hmm. And they really did paint the town red, I think, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Um, uh, and there was also, I have to say, a rivalry between them. Um, uh, Alan couldn't believe it when uh, uh, Peter had his plays um, broadcast and they turned out to be absolutely fantastic. Actually, to be honest, better than Alan's own television plays, which he wrote a number of in London. Mm-hmm. So there was always that slight tension, mm-hmm. that slight edge, mm-hmm. and but there was also a lot of friendship. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. I, I might have run into them, but because um, I lived in London in the 60s, oh, but yeah. I was in South London. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but, but um, God, I, I mean, it was it was pretty amazing. I, you know, I was quite um, fascinated by the whole thing. I didn't get to see any of the films. I had planned to go along, but I've, I've had this spell of 
every so often I seem to get a couple of days that I'm not well yeah. and then it's, I've got Lyme, Lyme disease okay. and it's pretty well under control yes. but it's, it's I get flare-ups right. and so, so quite often I'm planning to go to something then it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. you know sure. but, um, so I'll hopefully maybe get a chance yeah. at the um, the film festival well I'd like yeah. it to come to the Glasgow Film Festival yeah. in but obviously if it's mm-hmm. on the Edinburgh Film Festival mm-hmm. and I don't see why not because mm-hmm. he spoke at these events mm-hmm. in the 90s he's, he's somebody that really should be taught in the university courses absolutely um, my, the, my, the film courses yeah I mean my book was written to try and give academics the chance to see all the information about him mm-hmm. which they could then start to use mm-hmm. to, to teach mm-hmm. uh, his work and there's been some positive noises along that those lines, but I think there's a long way to go still as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's great that you, you've managed to flag it up so much today. You know, um, yeah. brilliant, great, great achievement. Thanks. So yeah. no, that that's that, that's really really good. Yeah. No, I, I thought thought it was it's amazing when you just come across somebody that's achieved so much and nobody knows anything about them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was just such a vital lively person as well he had an extraordinary life uh, he loved what he did um, there's nobody has lived more wholeheartedly I think than Alan Sharp mm-hmm. but I think he had a kind of break in his life as well and when everything kind of collapsed for him in 1975 including his marriage uh, to Liz his third wife um, I think he from then on felt quite a bit of remorse about some of the things he'd been mixed up in the 1960s, including a very uh, complicated relationship with Beryl Bainbridge, the novelist. Mm. And he had a child with Beryl Bainbridge, whom I have met. Her name is Ruth, Ruth Davis. She's lovely. She has been an actress. I don't think she does it anymore. But she was in Grange Hill, uh, (laughs) believe it or not. And things like Upstairs, Downstairs. Very good actress, I think. Um, and she had to grow up there was no father or, or rather I think another father came along um, Austin Davis finally married I think Belle Bainbridge and she had two siblings who had uh, I think he was their father I'm not sure about that but she definitely grew up um, without, a, without a dad and her mum was quite there was quite some difficulties in the house her mum mm-hmm. was quite fond of a drink or two so it went um it was difficult, but Ruth has, when I met her, which was in the ubiquitous chip, and she'd been there before quite good a few times. Good place to meet. <laughs> good place to meet. I met her and some of the rest of the, the, the children. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very reflective about their dad. They're not necessarily blaming. They're not thinking it was bad. He remade his relationships with them, I think. Yeah, that was good. Uh, there are letters to various members of them in the archive, Mm-hmm. which was uh, given to the University of Dundee. So I spent quite a bit of time there uh, reading up all his journals and all this stuff he didn't get all published, the all the letters, and it was very revealing stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah. very well, well done, you know, it's, and I'm glad you got so much pleasure from it. I did, I got a lot of pleasure from it. I got... Um, a great feeling that um, I was exploring territory that other people would like mm-hmm. and be interested in and there's an awful lot of stuff there that I haven't been able to put in the book because despite the fact that the book is a fairly chunky piece of work, it's about 300 and f- 
10,000 words. I couldn't get everything in. Uh, and also, some of the stuff you, you, you think, well, how personal is this? Should I put this in? And some of the stuff I left out. A lot of decisions. Discretion. Yeah, that's right. Um, but um, it was a um, fascinating time for me because I was so absorbed in just pursuing this single goal and uh, it felt great you know, mm-hmm. to be able to, to uh, be the first, if you like, mm-hmm. to see it all. I should mention there are two other people that have been involved in it though. Uh, Matthew Gear um, is a film writer and he wrote a book about uh, Night Moves uh, which came out in 2019 before I started so that was very helpful mm-hmm. to have that done mm-hmm. and I know Matthew now, he lives in Glasgow mm-hmm. he's Australian by birth but he lives here now mm-hmm. and um, so I was able to read that and get all that sort of stuff from that and the other person I met during my time doing this was somebody called River Seeger mm-hmm. who was a PhD student at the archive mm-hmm. and was doing some research as well mm-hmm. so I was able to use his work as that well was good. Yeah. So there was a wee fan club? There was a wee fan club we called ourselves the Alan Sharp Appreciation Society. <laughs> well, that was good. There were only three of us yeah. in it, yeah. Uh, but we added another one when um, Brian Do- um, Brian Hoyle of University of Dundee, he showed interest and helped us get into the archive. And he'd written something about Sharp based on the archive. So there are four of us. Mm-hmm. But after the GFT, yeah. there's many mm-hmm. more, I think. Yeah, oh, definitely. That, but that was good because it's great to kind of bounce ideas about it and yeah. sort of, you know, look at what other people are doing. Yeah, that's what oh, we did. We oh, we, we, I still meet Matthew, we still talk, mm-hmm. we're still proposing bits of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're think planning on doing a, um, going to a conference in Germany uh, to present work about Stevenson and Sharp, Robert, Robert Louis Stevenson and Alan Sharp. Because there's no doubt that Robert Louis Stevenson was a big model for Alan Sharp. My goodness. And Alan ended up living in New, New Zealand, um, as well as uh, Los Angeles and, believe it or not, Tenebruch. <laughs> so he had three places of residence of one oh, form or another. Goodness. And when he went to the Pacific, I think he had Robert Louis Stevenson very much in mind. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's, it looks as though it's still got a bit to travel. It has. Mm-hmm. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there may be a biography. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been enough interest to suggest that there might be, but there's a lot of stuff I still need to discover. So I'm meeting people now rather than looking at the archive mm-hmm. and talking to people and getting interviews. Mm-hmm. And I think that will, will probably develop into biography. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how that goes well, but I've been taking a bit of a rest from it as well it sounds, it sounds great and very different from writing fiction which yes. I, I think you're more used to yes that's right yeah. Yes, I've always been a fiction writer till now mm-hmm. uh, and I've published a number of uh, short stories here and there and I've published a novel mm-hmm. um, but various things happened that let me and I couldn't f- uh, continue that I had to take breaks because I was always working I was working in technical colleges. Uh, I worked in Cardonald and Kilmarnock mm-hmm. and Reed Care. And, and what, were you, what were you working at there? I worked at literature, literary stuff, media stuff, and then moved towards creative writing. So mm-hmm. by the time I was in my second stint in Reed Care, I was teaching creative writing. Mm-hmm. And I had some wonderful students there, including some who are pretty well known now. Tracy Patrick, I don't know if you oh, know her. Oh, I love Tracy. Yeah, Tracy, yeah. Absolutely yeah. love it. I've done a podcast with Tracy. Oh, brilliant. Uh, I love Tracy. Yeah, she's fantastic. She, oh, gosh. In fact, um, 
I did the um, learning creative writing at Glasgow Uni and when we did a project, mm-hmm. um, it was called The Lit Parade ah. and um, Tracy was one of the people, it was mainly people on the course right. that were involved, but Tracy, I think she was one of two people that was invited to um, contribute. Yeah, she's dead nice. She's dead. Very nice. talented. Very talented. Yeah, I've seen her a few times. I mean, she was. It was amazing to open a small course in a college, and find people like Tracy walking in. I'm, I'm um, sure. Leela Soma was also a member well, of that I, class. And <clears throat> knew Leela for a long time. Yeah. It was dead sad. Terrible. I I couldn't believe it. No. And she had just um, got that. Um, can't remember what you call it, but the um, prize, I think, is it Kafla or something like that? Yeah. Can't yeah. remember exactly what it's called. She just got that off. The, she was so hard working. I know. And she said, I've got a lot of um, Leela's work on my website because wow. she sent me a lot of um, her poems and, Good. Um, you know, she was also, also when I did that course, you had to do a, a, a project and I thought, well, I might as well do something that's I can use. Mm. So I did something for the website mm. and I, I put up um, and started off with just information about Glasgow writers. Mm. And um, Leila was one of the, the people that I included in that. Right, right. So is yeah. that where you're... West End Guide began and all that sort oh, of thing. Oh no 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 no! The the website's been up for over twenty years. Wow. Yeah. No, the the web website um, started. Jim was involved in computing from he was a teenager. Yeah. He got sent on a. He was on a. Um, it was a college studying technology mm-hmm. and computing, mm-hmm. and he got sent on a placement. And they loved it. It mm. was a travel, um, pl- so he didn't go back to college. He just stayed on this um, IT adventure, and he got started very, very early on web design. Mm. So he was one of the kind of early people working in that area. And he was, of course, he was working. He went back to university and did social sciences, but he was always working on his on the website and with email and everything. I had only one person I could email, my sister in Canada. and um, But he won an award. It, it set up a, um, a project called Making Connections right. at Glasgow Caledonian University. Brilliant. And it was to create access to information for disabled people. Ah. So it was about web accessibility. Oh, yeah. So... Um, it was Glasgow, the, call, the the university and Glasgow City Council put the project forward for an award, the Global Bannerman Challenge. Mm-hmm. It's in Sweden, it's an international award, and he won an award. Fantastic. So we got invited out to, I don't know if I was invited or not, but I went anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pay my own fear. But um, we went out to Sweden. It was, a, it was an amazing event. Fantastic. I mean, the King of Sweden gave you the award, wow. and you got the um, the Nobel, Nobel Prize menu. Wow. So, I mean, it was sensational. The city halls in the middle of Stockholm is gorgeous. Mm. It's on the Canary Island, and then the room that we were in—it's all like 
go leaf. Mm. So everything was all sort of lit up. It was like a fairy tale. Yeah. I mean, I was very, very taken with the whole thing. Yeah. It was smashing. So when we come home, um, we hung on for a few days and hung out in Stockholm. And when we come home, Jim said, um, oh, I've put up a website about our trip. Mm. So because it was about oh, me and about what we'd done, I was all interested. Right. I don't think I'd hardly looked at a website before. Uh-huh. I mean, that was in, um, when would that be? 1999, wow. I think. Um, so anyway, um, that, I showed it to him. And then that night I, I said to him, we should put up a website about Glasgow's West End. Yeah. So it didn't start as a business venture uh-huh. or anything. Okay. And um, he created it and then he sent a memo around Glasgow Caledonian to see people interested and then lots of people started getting in touch and they would want to contribute. I mean some of the people who started, you would call it now blogging, you didn't call it that then, mm-hmm. um, they still contribute to the website. That's so it didn't start off as a, um, as a business venture. Okay. And it could have been come, become. And at one point, I got, you, you did make quite a lot of money for doing very little mm. because um, you know, if it was dying to go on it, and yeah. also you got a lot of money from Google ads and whatnot. Yeah. It's not like that anymore because everybody's got their own website and their own social media. Sure. And I'm not a businesswoman. And um, if I take it up in the morning and start looking for clients, I wouldn't get up. <laughs> so it's, um, it's never, it could have probably um, been incredibly financially mm-hmm. successful. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's good fun yeah. and um, I've always enjoyed it. So I've just sort of kept doing it. I didn't know that. That's interesting. I've seen your guide, but not uh, the rest of it. So I'll take a look at the rest of the website. Oh, there's masses. I mean, there's like thousands of pages yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. Thousands. Yeah. I've got some fabulous contributors. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then I used to get sent a lot of um, writers would send me a lot of things. I've got loads of short stories on uh-huh. it. Some fabulous writers, loads of poetry. Uh-huh. Um, that doesn't happen so much anymore. No. But um, I don't really need new stuff all the time because no. you've got this amazing archive. I must have a look at that. So, that sounds great. Yeah. Sounds so fascinating. So Leela was sending stuff. I've got loads of stuff. Tracy and Hugh. Tracy, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I've got loads of stuff. From well, I did the Hamlet too, so mm-hmm. it is a small world, and mm-hmm. I did it in 1998 to 2000, mm-hmm. I think. So, um, you know, I still see Zoe uh, Strachan yeah. and uh, Louise Welsh, yeah. obviously. We, we're pretty friendly with them, uh, them too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, Zoe was um, my um, tutor. Was she? Yeah. yeah. Lovely. They certainly are. In mm-hmm. fact, I was just at a book launch down in Kilmarnock for Zoe's new book, Catch yeah. the Moments as They Fly. Mm. And yeah. uh, she was uh, great. You know, yeah, I went to great. it in Watersons. Oh, right. In okay. Hall Street. All right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Looks good, the uh-huh. book. Oh, yeah, it sounded great. She did very, very well. Yeah. You know, um, no, there is, I mean, Glasgow is it's really got a wealth of superb writers hasn't it just yeah mm-hmm. a lot of them come through that course mm-hmm. I mean I said to Tracy when she was in my class she said uh, what, what are you doing after this I said it to a number of people and they all followed my advice uh, I said 
are you going back to just doing your work readings, doing cafes and stuff? Yeah, I think I'll do that. I said, I said why don't you take up this master's in creative writing at uh, Glasgow? Oh, I don't know if that's really for... No, no, I said, you really, really should. And in fact, if you don't, you'll be missing a big tr- trick. So quite regularly at that time, I was managing to persuade students to go up there and they always got in. Um, I mean, Leela, I think, came to me after she'd done that course, but another uh, a young young uh, person, uh, Ely Percy Calder, uh, Ely Percy Blythe, she's known now. I don't know her. Uh, uh, she, uh, uh, sorry, I should say they uh, are now doing very well as a novelist. So quite a few people, um, f- I came into touch with them and I told them about how to move on and they all went on to do that and mm-hmm. I'm proud of that fact that, you know, they, I, I at least was a sort of link mm-hmm. to some, to, to I the think, next I think bit. it's fantastic if you're, if you're a, a teacher, the best thing you can, that can happen yeah. is to see your pupils yeah, achieve. that's right. That's right. Yeah, it really, absolutely. really is. Totally. Yeah. I, I lectured at Glasgow Caledonian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, I then, first of all, I taught social sciences, uh-huh. but then um, I worked on um, like academic writing, uh-huh. and mm-hmm. there was a, a project that set up for, for that. And we got people coming. That, and I taught also in the summer school. So we got people coming that really um, had no confidence, had little academic experience, yep. a lot of the nurses. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> then the other end with people <laughs> trying to get the, a first. Mm. They were wanting to know anything they could possibly know mm. to help them. But the, the nurses were amazing um, because... A lot of them, their first essays, they would get a rotten mark because mm. they didn't know what they were meant to be doing. Yeah. And, I mean, really and truly, I don't know how many people you would see. We, we lectured as well, but I wasn't too keen in the lecturing on those topics. I like to sit down one-to-one with somebody yeah. and kind of go through their work yeah. and say, this is what you should be doing. Yeah. And we could maybe get... A, in fact, we get loads of nurses and they would get marked like 30 percent or something Mm -hmm. and then you would go through it with them and you would say to them look you know so much Mm. you know you you put your if you're reading something you think well no that doesn't always happen or that's not always the case from your experience you put that in you bring Mm. everything you've got and and put it in and I mean, I absolutely loved the students. Mm-hmm. And then they would come back, the next um, essay they would get 60%. Yeah. Because, you know, you just went through, this is what you do. Yeah. You know, this is how you structure it, yeah. blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, yeah. And I always thought, my God, um, wouldn't the results be so much better if the students only knew what they were getting marked on? Well, that's right, that's you right. Know? I mean, you know, um, I had an experience when I was still at this college uh, when uh, I went up to the SQA for a meeting and they were looking for ideas and they said, could you give us some ideas about how to use creative writing uh, in some sort of way to market maybe a book that we might put together? That's, so I agreed I would help them edit the book and there was other people involved in that, but I was one of them. And I said, why don't you award a prize and make that prize getting a poem on the underground? Okay. Uh, and uh, so up in the walls of the uh-huh. underground get a uh-huh. poem on it right, or an extract from a short mm-hmm. story whatever would win it 
Tracy won it, mm. right? And I had the pleasure <laughs> of telling her you've won. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, pretty taken aback, um, but the poem went up in the underground. Mm-hmm. And she's since had poems in Silverburn. I've seen them on the walls mm-hmm. of Silverburn. She's lots of publications. She's mm-hmm. well known, so yeah. You know. And I liked her book too. Yeah, oh yeah, The, the mm-hmm. Blushing is for Self. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. That was good. Yeah, it was fantastic. really, really good. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it. Do you know um, when we're talking about the creative writing, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I read that you had been involved in was creative writing and dementia. Yes. And I wondered about that. Yeah. If you could tell me a bit about that, well, what that involves. Well, I didn't do very much of it. I had been thinking of doing it and approached Larry Butler, but unfortunately didn't see that through because as I, re- I read up about it, I realised I really hadn't done very much stuff with people with dementia. I think it's a very specialised field, but I got very interested in it and read lots about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Not really the same as practice, mm-hmm. but, I mean, it's it's tough because mm-hmm. people with dementia genuinely do uh, lose a lot of contact with the world, and um, yet you have to value what they do. They are It's a different way of thinking. Um, there's a couple of academics who've made specialist careers out of working with people with dementia and they encourage them to write Um, and even although we can't necessarily make sense of what is written nevertheless that's what's in those people's minds at the moment at that time and it's just as valid as any other poetry so it's a very specialist field I didn't really work in it I think I had a bash at it but didn't get very Mm -hmm. far Mm -hmm. Larry Butler however runs uh, is it Autumn, Autumn Voices or one of yeah, these? Yeah, recognises yeah. His, his name. Yeah, uh, and uh, I, I would have liked to have taken it further, but I really didn't. I uh, I found that one, uh, I didn't have mm-hmm. the right sort of experience really yeah. to get into that. Uh, but I didn't know anything, you know, I didn't know what it was mm. at all, or mm. what, it, mm. what it involved, mm. you know. Mm. So that, mm. that sounds, because, like, as you say, so many people with dementia, you know, it's as if they're not capable of anything, yeah, yeah. you know, and I know they have, um, like, sort of um, the Banyan groups mm-hmm. and um, projects like that where people with dementia talk about the past mm-hmm. and about the, mm-hmm. maybe talk about the war mm-hmm. because they remember... Um, maybe they don't remember what happened 10 minutes ago sure. but they've still got great recollection of their youth or yeah. events in the past so I suppose they could write about that too I think so, I think they need assistance and I did go to a dementia unit inside the last place I worked in which was the University of the West of Scotland and they had a mock pub in the place so they would had a, a, like a, 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 a wall hanging with um like a gantry and they would have a, a, a counter, a mock counter, <laughs> uh, tables and chairs set up and they'd bring in all the, the, the elderly men and they would get them to talk about football, they'd, mm-hmm. they would inspire somehow maybe on television, talk, chat about football and instantly these guys could remember. So I think a lot of us to do with being divorced from the world around them and very isolated. Yeah. I think as well music has been used with dementia as a huge way of inspiring uh, their memories to return. And I did see a film once at one point where an elderly man in America, they put music he remembered from his youth into headphones and put the headphones in. Now, this was a guy who was literally slumped forward in his seat and didn't seem unable to move. 
the instant they put this on, he opened his eyes and jumped up and he could remember every word. Mm. It was just that he wasn't surrounded by the things that he knew. He was mm. cut off from everything that he knew. Yeah. So I think it's Sally Magnuson has started a, 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 a did at one time lead a campaign to have everybody do, do, uh, donate their old was it iPods the little tiny little things mm-hmm. that came out and all the music on them donate them and she would redistribute them to the, the care homes. Mm. So I hope that's working. Mm. I remember um, once I was in hospital and I, at that time it'd be like tapes we were listening to. And Jim had brought me a tape and it was Rai Cooder. Oh, yes. And there was a, an old lady beside in the same ward and she, she had dementia. And um, on the um, the tape was Good Night Irene. Oh, yes. And <laughs> so every time I came to that, I would shout on her yeah. and let her. And she would sing away at the top oh, of yeah. her voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she absolutely... Um, she just absolutely loved that, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So. My mum and dad were both in care homes and by the end they were quite far gone, but they could still sing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, not hymns either, just things they remembered from their youth and it was really good. Kept them mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. Kept them going. Um, no, I was just, you know, I was in, I'm, I'm interested in all of that. Yeah. A lot of things haven't been really expanded upon you know yeah there was a dementia unit in this uh, place but it got closed down so Mm -hmm. that's the other reality funding gets pulled and Mm -hmm. the university turns its back on it so I don't think there's anything Mm -hmm. there now there's quite a lot goes on down in Helensburg they've got a kind of um, dementia unit I think and they're trying to make it I think almost like a dementia Town. I don't know who it is. It's in, oh, good. But I've read that from oh, things in the, that from time to time. I, I must check it out what a good again idea. and see what's, what's happening. Yeah. But um, Dave, I read a couple of your short stories. Yes, thank um, you. The other mm-hmm. and there's it Inkerman. Inkerman, yeah. And um, I mean, there were fabulous characters. Thank you. In them. Thanks. I mean, especially the other such a vivid character yeah and but apart from that um, I thought that there were great kind of um, commentary like sort of social history Mm. because um, and also they completely both of them completely captured the kind of work environment and the people yeah involved and yeah, yeah, I was dead interested. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very lazy writer. I hardly ever write anything, but I like reading other people's. <laughs> and I, you know, one of the things if I was writing a short story or anything longer, I'm always kind of fearful of having um, too many characters. Yes. I feel they would get away from me. Yes. But you manage that very well. Well, mm. those were stories, the ones that you mentioned that just worked. You know, I've mm. written loads that didn't. Mm. Um, but there was something about them that I knew was better. And I think that was one of the things. It was just the right size for the form, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for your word, kind words about them. I mean, those are two of my favourites as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got about ten of these things that I've published in various magazines down the years. And I'm going to try and pull them into a collection quite soon. Definitely should. I mean, the, the um, 
The other, I mean, it's really important because they carry to head aids. That's right, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't batter away at that. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. it's almost by the by in a way. It's more about the... Um, so I think that's a good way of doing something. Yeah, I mean, there was a real person that it's based on whom mm-hmm. I knew in a, in a college, mm-hmm. um, and he was an extraordinary guy um, because in this rather colourless, dull, boring... Um, quite downtrodden type of place he was just like a kind of mm. it was like a, a, a glamour thing that Tim w- walked in like a like a kind of um, drag queen had suddenly <laughs> appeared in the middle of this uh, technical college mm-hmm. where everybody was an engineer and they were learning uh, how to weld and stuff like mm-hmm. that and he was um, just he just knew the effect he had he'd been at the art um, drama college so he was a good actor and he knew how to keep everybody alive. He just mm-hmm. would not allow boredom mm-hmm. to happen. Mm-hmm. And he was very extreme in his words and his actions sometimes mm-hmm. to make that happen. He didn't fit uh, this, this particular college at all, but I thought that was fantastic because he was just always taking the mickey out mm-hmm. of whatever was going on. And he mm-hmm. had such an amazing sense of humour. Mm-hmm. Um, he led a fairly risky way of life and he contracted AIDS um, and uh, I knew him uh, for a number of years during the sadder part of that story when he began to dwindle away and he looked, began to look thinner and um, you know um, he had not changed his lifestyle in the face of loads of warnings and he made his choice and but it was still, it was still hard to know him and to um, help him <laughs> in any way um, and, and and many people who were his friends were put on the spot by that because they had said you know be careful you know and uh, and then of course at that time in the early days everyone was terrified everybody was terrified I mean there was terrified was, was everywhere and there was mm-hmm. such a stigma mm-hmm. um, I can't remember the name of the, the play that was on not that long ago the television yeah, play yeah. it's a sin I know the one it's you mean sin. it was fabulous it was fabulous. so sad so sad because it mm-hmm. brought the stories of those who died oh my back. god I didn't even know that was so educational I didn't even know Half the effects. Yeah. No, no, that was a wonderful drama. It was wonderful because it told the real story for the first time, really. And I knew that uh, through this contact with this particular uh, guy. And he was, um, he was really, I mean, he, a few years ago, um, not that long ago, he refused medication and decided to go. Um, and uh, because he was the the treatment had worn him out, you know, and he'd lost so much weight. Mm-hmm. I didn't see much of him in latter years because I moved on and he left and all that sort of stuff. He moved to another mm-hmm. college, but I actually worked there too and saw him a little later. But um, he just he just faded away, really, you know. And um, it was a sad thing for somebody who'd been so mm-hmm. blatantly out there mm-hmm. and uh, so. Well, I mean, the the story obviously captures that sadness but it's full of humour mm. and so vivid yeah you know I really I really enjoyed it and it made me it made me laugh it Thanks was an that. absolute horror as well it was so it could be very cruel <laughs> it really was but I mean it was so real you know you did such a a good job you Thanks. know it was so it was such a 
a vivid character. Thank you. No, I really liked it. And I liked the, uh, the other story as well. Yeah. Um, the increment, and I could relate to that a whole lot because I thought it was about, about Linwood Car Factory yeah. and all the goings-on and all the things that the, the, the men got up to. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like I come from Oka Patrick, so you always had the stories of the men, you know, jumping the wall in the yeah. shipyards and yeah, yeah. all the things they got up to yeah. the shipyards and yeah. the wee um, areas that they'd carved out from <laughs> for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, when I was really young, I think only about 16, I worked in Drysdale's, which is now weird pumps. Right, yes, and I know that, yeah. when you wrote about the men... And if there was a woman walking through the all, they did that to us. Yes. If we could send a message, um, which hardly any women worked there, not just in the office, but if you could send a message and you'd walk through the factory, that's what they would do, they would yeah. all hit. And they actually even did it in the drawing office, yeah. not to the same extent. So we were, if we got a... We had to go through that... We would be sick yeah. because the, the men would all yeah. you know, hammer and shout at you and everything. Yeah. I don't think that would happen now. I don't no. think so. No, it no. couldn't. But uh-huh. they did it uh-huh. and I got that from the man that stories modelled on, who was my father-in-law, mm-hmm. who I hugely admired because mm-hmm. he was very liberated in his views and very, quite modern in his views. He was um, pro-union, uh, etc., but he wasn't 100% convinced. He was all about, you know, look after your family was his um, his big main motive. And uh, he was a great guy. Um, but he would, like all the guys who worked there, have his own methods of sneaking stuff out of that yeah. factory. And, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the stories in Linwood are incredible of people smuggling yeah. whole cars well, one out. Of the, one of the scenes that you've got in mm. it, I mean, it's so exciting. Mm. You know, when and you and you can almost feel his his well, you can feel his excitement mm. and this plan that he'd made mm-hmm. and how how the it, it set it was ingenious yeah. how it set it up to um, get it through and yeah. be be watching out for the security and everything yeah. and then when the light come on when yeah. it was you think oh my god you yeah. know you're so caught up in it yeah um, but and also um, I kind of thought it made me think like a lot of the work those men would be doing yeah. would be quite tedious yeah but this was so exciting yeah and I think that some of them probably were doing it just for the hell of it I think so rather than any monetary gain yeah. it was so blinking risky yeah yeah I mean I agree I mean uh, I mean, the assembly line was a hellish place to work mm-hmm. I worked out in Paisley in one of the colleges there and uh, I wasn't there when they closed Chrysler's but uh, a couple of years after that and the guys would come in with stories and these were men who were unemployed now and, but the stories they would tell of Chrysler's were full of adventure and stuff. And now they were on the dole and they were just living in their houses nearby and they didn't have anything really, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they were working in Chrysler's, I wouldn't say it was fun. It was very much a, a, like a war between the, the workers and the management. <laughs> um, somebody told me recently that when they were having a time in motion study, they sent people in with uh, you know clipboards to watch them do the stuff. 
He says, you've never seen anybody work so slow in your lives with these guys who would come wearing equipment. They never wore any other times, like boots and gloves and visors and, um, you know, ear protectors and all this stuff. And they would just go really, really slow. Everything would have to be halted to this absolute snail's pace where all these men stood with clipboards on. So it was a constant battle, but it was also... Uh, I mean, there was a lot of adventures, a lot of people up to a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, you could also buy just about anything you wanted inside mm-hmm. Chrysler's. Um, and, um, you know, the, the stories of how people smuggled stuff out were amazing. So, for example, I think in the story, the guy finds a, a piece of equipment that's hardest to smuggle out past the security booths mm-hmm. is a headlight. So he's, he manages to get it by sticking it down his trousers and he has to pretend he's got a limp as he leaves. And then as he gets onto the bus, the bus driver lets him off with his fare because he thinks he's disabled. So, it's, uh, yeah, it was a great, great story to write. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And also, the other thing I liked about it was the kind of... Um, sometimes the the scene of the place would be so beautiful, yeah. you know, and you know, it was just like this factory, but it would take on a whole yeah. different dimension, yeah. you know, if it was snowing or, yeah. you know, whatever way the lights were yeah. hitting it. And... Um, so it was a whole kind of um, world in itself. Well, absolutely, yeah. You know, I mean, I got very interested in it because it was long gone by the time um, I was going out to Linwood with my wife mm-hmm. to see her family out there and her brother and her bro- sister-in-law and their kids. And it was very much a very, very home-loving atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Linwood was it was a community. Mm-hmm. And everybody lived in these same streets, and they really looked out for each other. So you didn't feel um, you you were alone in any way. You know, there was people around you. I mean, my, my Carol's um, aunt lived just along the street, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were always visiting. There was always that sense of being part of something. And then out there was the main place of employment, which yeah. was this huge factory, which was very controversial even in its day. And just stood alone by itself out there, and uh, when it finally uh, went, the community was just devastated. Yeah. I mean, it was just like yeah. there was nothing, nothing at all. Yeah. Yet people continued to live. And Clyde Bank was the same with when singers went and John Brown's. Yeah, I was talking to my grandson um, the other night about singers. Yeah. Um, because when um, it was so vast, yeah. and most of the young women, well wee girls really, I think they were 15 or something um, that worked in singer they were messengers yeah. that was their job, they were a messenger They would. the factory was so big yeah. and of course it's in the email <laughs> so they were taking messages from one department away to another yeah. so they just walked about yeah. all, day all day taking these messages yeah. but if the um, I wasn't working there because my first job was actually in the factory mm-hmm. in West Cox. Mm-hmm. So I know what you mean about the, um, you know, being on the line. But um, because my friends, most of them worked in singers, they get sent to night school mm-hmm. to do shorthand typing in English. Mm-hmm. And then if they pass the exams, they get taken into the office. Mm-hmm. That was the, 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 yeah. the, the way it worked, you know. Yes. So I just went, because I, my friends were going, I just went, along to night school with them but um, 
I knew a lot about I didn't work in things, but because they spoke about it all the time in the, all the departments, you know, forward planning and the needle um, <laughs> section. I kind of knew knew all the, the names. And then all your aunties and uncles, they all worked in singers. Mm. You know, it was just like you say, mm-hmm. it was like whole families. Whole family, yeah. yeah. And it was true as well, that story about the men banging on the... Uh, metal tops with hammers whenever a woman walks oh, yeah, through particular yeah. pa- areas. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my uh, father-in-law, he was not into that at all. He said that was terrible what they yeah. did. So it, it was, it was, he was different from mm-hmm. many of the sorts of people who would go along with these practices. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't. He was absolutely his own man, which I really admired. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was something people did, and he must have intimidated the hell out of these young yeah, women walking through. Absolutely. And that was what it was all about. Mm-hmm. So strange. Mm-hmm. It couldn't possibly happen now, I hope. No. Um, but yeah, some really bad practice mm-hmm. as well. It was mm-hmm. amazing. I know, and then the, um, you also wrote about how there was sort of deliberate, um, you know, d- damaging things. Yeah. And yeah. that must have been just sheer frustration. And yeah. You know, getting against the, oh, yeah. the bosses. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you know, the the working mm-hmm. on the line, mm-hmm. as it was called, the shells of the cars uh-huh. would pass over you mm-hmm. or alongside you, and you'd have to do your particular job uh-huh. in like thirty seconds flat, and then wait for the next one to come yeah. along. I mean, it's a way of destroying somebody. Absolutely, but it's a smash. It's a smashing story. Yeah, I mean, I thanks. think I think it, you know it just captures so much of that time Thank and you. that particular. Um, world you know of the no I I thought I mean I've read it a couple of times I just thought you you did so well with it and um, we should definitely get a collection yeah um, that's the next plan Mm -hmm. I mean I wrote that at Strathclyde when uh, at that time Glasgow and Strathclyde were up for the MLIT were together Mm -hmm. so I remember the night I wrote that story and I hadn't done very well in the course. I mean, people just were, when I read my stuff out, it was because of the silence. So I wasn't feeling too confident. So I began to write something a bit different. I didn't know why I wrote it. I didn't intend to do it this way. But when I, some, when I gave it out to them, they were absorbed. So I knew there was something different about that one. Uh, so that was better than much of the other stuff I wrote. Well, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed both those Thank you those very much. St- those stories. Thanks very much. Well, I'll hang. I'll hang on to them, and then if I'm writing something, I can <laughs> dip back. Dip you should in. write. You should write um, more yourself. Yeah, yeah. I I, I know that um, I'm, I'm lazy, and then I've got a lot to do in the 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 website. I've That's never nice. been uh, um, like I've never thought of myself as a writer, and I've never had a. Um, a sort of drive mm. to succeed or mm. anything actually, mm. <laughs> um, but you know I do if I if I do start writing if somebody I'm like a child I'll do my homework if somebody asks me to write something I'll write it no bother yeah. um, and but and I always did my homework when I um, <laughs> when I was studying. <laughs> But yeah. other than that, I'm not that. I mean, when I applied for the course, um, man, um, there were about seven of us, you know, we were a big family, but, um, and I had five brothers, so four of them have died. Oh. And um, and when John died, 
oh gosh, I was so upset. Mm. And then Jim said to me, look, you should try and do something, do something different. You know, if you want to go, he says, well, you know, he says, I'll pay for it, you know, just find something you want to do. And I actually went, I met John Dingwall, he's a music journalist, right. and we'd known each other early in the 80s. We both we both wrote for punk fanzines. Oh, brilliant. And then he went on to be a music journalist. Mm. So I met John in um, Tinderbox just for a coffee. Oh, yeah. And um, he had just finished the Emlet ah. and he loved it. And mm. he was so enthusiastic. And when I came home, I said to Jim, I might apply for this Emlet. But you see, I had never done any creative writing. Mm. So I just sent in a blog. Mm. <laughs> and I wasn't really expecting to get onto the mm. the course, but um, it was awful good for me, yeah. you know. And in fact, I think I got a lot more out of it than a lot of people because a lot of people had been writing for years, yeah. And they were they were pretty um, proficient, sure. whereas I knew nothing, mm. you know. Mm. So um, it was a massive learning curve, but mm. it was dead enjoyable. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I think people came into touch, came into contact with people that they would never have met otherwise. Oh, I mean, there were so people different. from all over the world. That's right. That's right. You know, and they were lovely, mostly dead young. I mean, I was ancient compared to everybody else, but they were, you know, lovely. Um, and some of them were gifted, you oh. know, they were, they were fantastic. Yeah. And then the, we had great, oh my God, we had brilliant tutors. We had um, Kai. Oh, yes, I know Kai. Kai I know of Kai. I've forgotten, forgotten his surname no. now. He was great. Vanny mm-hmm. Capaldeo, mm, who's a wonderful poet. No. And my God, she was so smart. I mean, we would, we would hand in our work, and then maybe about 12 of us at a tutorial. As we go around everybody and say, what you should be looking at is this, and what you should be looking at is that. Every single person, she could, inv- I mean, she just had this knowledge, and she was from Trinidad and Tobago, oh. mm. and then Kai was from Jamaica, yeah. and they were, you know, oh, he was he was great, he was yeah. such a big player. He's a wonderful writer, uh-huh. Kai Miller. Kai Miller. Uh-huh. He was brilliant and Vanny has won all these Freeman I don't know much about poetry mm. but all the, the is it Freeman award or Freeman I don't know. she's won all these big huge yeah. um yeah. like awards but they were and then Zoe and, and Louise yeah. and people like that. Yeah. Louise had just come actually to be the writer in residence. Right. She wasn't um, she wasn't then on, professor, then yeah. pro- professor at that time. Yeah. But I, I thought oh I'll go and see her. And she was great. Oh, she's lovely. You know, she gave great advice. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of the students I encouraged to go up, I remember one guy's name, uh, uh, Paul McCafferty. Oh, I know Paul did well. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim's written songs with Paul. Oh, right, aye, of course. Oh, I love Paul. Mm -hmm. Um, I had started by that time doing readings in Chayovna Cafe and mm-hmm. hosting them mm-hmm. down in the south side. They were absolutely mobbed in those early days. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to the West End one. Mm-hmm. But Paul was one who came along and he was amazing. I didn't even know he was good. So good. He did work for it with Irvin Welsh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, did a, he did a poem mm-hmm. called Junkie Town that was to a kind of um, what, a rapper's beat. And it was just amazing. Mm-hmm. But anyway... 
I said to Paul, I said, you're wasting your time with all this stuff. You want to really learn. Go to this course, find the money somehow and just do it. You'll never regret it. So he did. And uh, he told me later that what was so had such an impact on him was being in the same room as all these people from different backgrounds. And I mean, Mm -hmm. middle class, working class, top-notch writers, people starting out out from all over the world. It was like, it really expanded his horizons. Oh, uh no, he's very, very talented. Paul, he's been up here, I've not seen him for a long time, but, but, um, you know, Paul was on the the course with me, smashing people. Aye, Paul's a lovely guy. We did this project at Ten Writers Telling Lies. Oh, right, that sounds good. And that was really good. It was Jim um, wrote ten songs and then there were ten writers um, wrote stories inspired by the songs. And it went really well. I mean, we sold every single book and we were in quite a lot of the... We were in I Write and we were in quite a lot of the festivals. Brilliant. It was great fun. Yeah. Um, and we had brilliant Pauline Lynch and uh-huh. um, Samina Chowdhury. She oh, yeah. is fabulous. Do you know Samina? No, but I know Samina is very, very talented. Yeah. And Pauline, she's now um, writing in Scots and directing plays for Brocklan. Wow. Um, they, they do everything in Scots. Wow. And um, she comes from, well, she lives in Bigger, and there's a community down there of very gifted people, mm. actors and writers. Mm. And um, her partner's Robin Lang. Mm. That was in, he was the detective in River City. All right. So he, they're, they're all skillful and... Um, we went down to see a, a, a play down there not long ago. So they're doing, they're all doing interesting Brilliant. things. And um, yeah, Gillian Mays um, was another person on it. And um, she was a lecture psychology at Glasgow. She's Dr. Mays, but she's a very good writer too. Good. And um, oh, Jim. Young people and I can't remember I can't remember if it is name off the top of my head. I don't know why, mm. but it was very very um, enjoyable. We were going to do it again. Um, we were going to do a follow up because it went so well, but um, then two of my brothers died, and I was kind of just not in the mood for doing anything. Then with the pandemic, yeah. and. Um, it kind of, um, because we'd, the other thing that happened was a couple of people had moved on to other things, mm-hmm. so new people were coming on board. Sure. And um, Ruby McCann mm. and Brian Whittingham mm. were on board, mm. and they both died. That's right. And I just thought... Too much. Too much. Yeah. I just... Um, Janet Crawford was also becoming involved, so we had fabulous people. Right. Um, but it was good, but you know, it was really a good, um, good experience. Yeah. experience. There's so many things that people can do. Well, I mean, that's right. I mean, it's, it became a community of writers. Now, I don't know all the names you mentioned, but I remember everybody I was in the class with, and I've met many who have been later in the class. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting, all these connections. I never met you until today, Pat, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you you know my sister and I know you also yeah. know people I'm talking about. Uh-huh. I knew Brian quite well. Um, I miss him, you know. 
Uh, he was, uh, was fabulous. He was a great guy, terrific guy. Isn't it always the case that you don't know what you've got till they're gone? I mean, when mm-hmm. Brian died, I thought, my God, he was so, so different and so gifted. I know, and, I so know. and, and, all, and calling, I've got quite a lot of Brian's poetry on my side, and I loved when he would um, sort of call on his mum was German, and he would call yes. on the, uh, all that kind yes. of um, his own yes. background, and then working in the yards. Yes, it was it was fabulous. He was great, but I thought he was a great person. He was a really really himself, nice guy. He was dead encouraging to me. Right, you know, he was always, um, you know, we'd give him a lift a couple of times. I don't know why, and sometimes he gave me a lift, um, but you know, he would always say to me. You're so good at phrasing and you're pausing in all the right places, yeah. and that, I, I would be so happy, yeah. you know, because I, I looked up to him a lot. Yeah, and yeah. you know, he was very giving. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that about him until when I realised he was like that. Unfortunately, after he was after he passed on, because you don't really sometimes appreciate people for what they are, and then you realise what they were and. It's too late to say, oh, <laughs> I thought you were great. But he was a great guy and I knew he was very encouraging and helpful to other people. He ran West Coast Magazine for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. He really believed in what he was doing. He was one of the first guys I ever knew to say, that's it, I'm giving up a job, I'm going to be a poet. And really, amazing. He, he did it. You know, he, mm-hmm. through the dint of his own work, mm-hmm. and I didn't, again, realise this until probably too late, I, I got a hold of his collections again, looked at them again, and they were great, you know, and I hadn't really appreciated them at the time. So that was a bit of an oversight on my part, and I regret that, but at least I felt I understood him then. Yeah, you know? no, it was great. Did you know Ruby McCann? No, I never did, but I know she had a big impact. Oh, my God. She was... She did so much for other people, yeah. you know, yeah. and she was fantastic. She aimed for Scottish writers... Yeah. She did that. She was because she was really. Um, we, we when we were applying for creative writing, um, no, creative Scotland. Um, they, they said to us that the the thought the project, the whole idea, was terrific, but they didn't think we could achieve it, and which was very irritating actually because um, Jim's made it over the years loads of CDs some very mm-hmm. successful and he's also written a lot of um, books mainly technical books but he knew how to produce sure. books and a so book. on yeah. so there was a lot of experience yeah. and then we'd also I mean he's always had a band and then I used to manage the band so the band played all over America and Canada and France and you know mm-hmm. loads of festivals in mm-hmm. Ireland and mm-hmm. London mm-hmm. so we were we had a lot of experience mm. um, apart from you know having these access to these really great writers mm. so, but they, they said well, we didn't think you could achieve it and um, Ruby knew that and she she had been very successful in getting funding from Creative Scotland for various things so she sent me and I, I just think most people are not as generous as this she sent me what, her application to show me what she had written 
you know, which would have been very useful if we'd been going for it. Sure. Again. Sure. But she was a, fantastic, a very, very good poet as well. Yeah, well, everybody speaks very highly of her. I did meet her once, I think. She was putting on a gig in the south side um, at Shawlands, and it was something to do with a festival that was going on. So single-handedly, she set up this gig, and people mm-hmm. got up and read for mm-hmm. a while, but she was wearing a, a turban or a, a head bandage yeah. or something. She was getting treated. But I mean, and I've met Ian Spring, who set up Ryan Moore Books with her, and everybody is, everybody's mentioned her and said she was really an incredible person. So, yeah. you know, I'm one of these people who wouldn't take no for an answer, and uh, that works, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I, I never, unfortunately, never met her, but mm-hmm. she was in that fallow period I was having when I was yeah. down in air and couldn't really make it to, to, yeah. to places mm-hmm. and uh, stood back from all that stuff. Um, um, uh, but I, 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 again, like Brian, I, I wish I'd known her better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She did all the stuff with the literary lounge, yes. and that's still on the go yes. with Jim Ferguson. Jim Ferguson, because he's there. great as well. I go there you know. at the moment. That's mm-hmm. where I, that's when I read, read from the book. I read that's the first place I read. Okay, it. that was good. So, and I like the, yeah. the Scotia. People said, "Oh, you won't want to be the Scotia." No, it's all nonsense. <laughs> I said it's great. It's been gone on uh-huh. since the nineteen nineties. Yeah. In fact, I read there one night with Tracy, and Tracy said the same thing. She said, "This place hasn't changed at all. Uh-oh. Neither has." Mm-hmm. But listen, what are you planning at the moment? Well, I've got this um, short stories thing to go on with. <clears throat> are you writing of... any new ones? Yeah, you... yeah. There'll be so, um, I'll have. I've got about ten old ones, and I'll be writing about three or four new ones to try and make a good collection. You know, because I feel I owe it to myself, having done these through the years, to put them together into one collection and get them out there as a physical book. They can be obtained in various places. Uh, from various sources online but I think I want to make them one kind of collection and then I want to go back to crime writing crime fiction Mm -hmm. because I started doing that in 2011 I wrote a novel which went down well but not with everybody because some people found it very chilling and very graphic wasn't intended to be so what is that called? it's called Lost Bodies and it was published in Kennedy and Boyd in 2011 and I was quite nonplussed by some of the criticism I got, but I've been thinking a lot about that. So I think it's time for me to go back and answer some of those criticisms through the writing of things. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily dis- not fully disagreeing with criticism, taking stuff on board as well. But the other thing I sh- I'd like to share with uh, with you is that um, we've discovered the missing novel of the trilogy of Alan Sharp books. Right. So a green tree and Getty was the first. Uh, the wind shifts was the second, the third one never appeared. Right. So everybody wanted to know what happened to that last book. It was called The Apple Pickers. Right. So we found it. And it said it was in a garage in Los Angeles For in God's a sake. cardboard box where it had been stored since Alan died in 2013. And the guy just said, I'll said to his, um, Alan's son, Mike, got this stuff. Do you want to take us? I'm going to chuck it out if you don't. Uh, and Mike said, yeah, okay. So it was FedExed over, and uh, and among it was this, the missing novel, missing link of Scottish literature. Oh, that's quite something, eh? Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. It's also going to be tricky because it's 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 got stuff in it that would be quite you might raise eyebrows at in today's market, but I'm just going to go ahead. With it. Good, that's a big project. Yeah, that sounds great. So a lot of exciting. 
stuff. I hope so, because I've had on and off experiences with writing, like you're describing for yourself, Pat. Mm -hmm. There's times when I've not Mm -hmm. managed to do much, and now I'm safely out of the jaws of employment. I can I can maybe do a few things now. I think there's quite a lot to <laughs> that we can look forward to. Sure. Yeah, no, sure. that's great. Dave, listen, that's been just so interesting. Thanks, you know. Pat. Thank you for yeah. having me. It's been no, great to talk to you. And tell your sister Joyce that I was asking for it. Oh, I will. No doubt I'll see her soon. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Lots of connections. No, absolutely, yeah, so, yeah. Thanks very much, Dave. Thank you. Anything thanks, else there? You wanted to no, I mean think. that's uh, the thing. I mean, there's loads. Of you can go on forever, but I, I think I've, I think I've given people enough. So <laughs> that's exciting about that. Um, finding yeah. in the, the garage in Los Angeles. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Pat. This ends another episode of Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End. I hope you enjoyed that, and I'll catch you the next time. Bye for now.